Artemis endeavors to get more women and girls in the field and on the water. To support women as leaders in the conservation movement. To ensure the vitality of our lands, waters, and wildlife. Artemis endeavors to change the face of conservation. Hey everyone, welcome to the Artemis Podcast. I am your host, Marsha Brownlee. We are joining you live today, uh, well, virtually live today as part of the Montana Wildlife Federation's annual conservation celebration. Um, for those of you who aren't yet familiar with Artemis, we are an initiative of the National Wildlife Federation that engages women hunters and anglers in conservation advocacy. Uh, we were formed because the National Wildlife Federation recognized conservation was missing important voices, with women being the fastest growing segment in the sporting community uh, but we seldom are the voice of conservation campaigns. So Artemis is aiming to change that. If you do listen to the podcast, you may have heard me mention on previous episodes that we are currently doing a program, a program in Montana called Go Confident as an Advocate. Uh, this is a year-long program that meets every month to engage participants in conversations about issues impacting our public lands and wildlife and tools and tactics for advocating for them effectively. Um, in this program, we are partnering closely with the Montana Wildlife Federation to connect advocate voices with important conservation issues currently being discussed in Montana State Legislature. And today we are joined by our guest, Ann Joliff, who is going to talk about her experience in our Go Confident series and as an engaged conservation advocate this year. Hi, Ann. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for being here today. Yeah. Cool. So uh, uh, kick us off. You know the question, what's in your freezer? Ah, <laughs> uh, let's see. I gotta think about that one. We have some goose still. Um, I think we only have one package of that left. It's kind of, you know, like you hold on to that last package. You just don't want to use it. Um, so, so we, true. Have goose. we have some elk, deer, and antelope, the typical. Um, and then we have an organically raised pig from Belgrade, Montana. So nice. That, but it's in our freezer. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, let's dive right in. Tell us a little bit about who you are. Okay, um, so born and raised in Montana, um, moved to Wyoming after college with my husband. Um, I'm a teacher, um, back in Montana now. Um, I'm a teacher at a high school. I teach English. Um, that's my real job. Um, I am a mother of five-year-old triplets, um, all girls, and they're very excited to start kindergarten, and so am I. <laughs> I can only um, imagine. Yeah. Oh boy, they're excited. Um, and it's a really small community, so it's kind of cool. The the nurse that works at our school, at the high school, works at the elementary school down the road. And so everybody's just so excited that the triplets are coming in. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um, I'm a dog mom. I have three dogs. They are currently shut outside, so hopefully that works pretty well. Um, we got a COVID puppy. We got a German wire hair pointer. Um, so he's about a year old and we've been working pretty hard on training him. And then in the midst of all of this, um, I'm an Artemis ambassador. Um, and of course joined up during the COVID cohort. Um, <laughs> Ooh, that's, I don't know why we haven't been calling them that all along. <laughs> it's an English teacher, the alliteration, it just happens. It's beautiful. Um, <laughs> um, and so I haven't been able to do a whole lot, like as far as hosting or anything, cause Montana has been pretty strict. Um, but advocacy was one way that I kind of wiggled in there and 
share what I can on social media and get my family to, to do what I'm trying to get everybody else to do. Fantastic. Um, what's your background as a hunter angler? How did you get started in the field and on the water? Oh, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm that too. <laughs> um, so let's see. When I was six, my grandma took me to her brother's farm and I caught my first little six inch rainbow trout and I was so proud of myself. Um, scared them half to death and they almost fell fell into uh, the pond. Hang on. Um, so that was, you know, showed me that everything is really exciting. And then we got trout for breakfast, of course. Um, and then I just have been surrounded by it my whole life. I mean, I can go out in my grandpa's garage in the fall without having a deer hanging. Um, <clears throat> my dad took me out when I was 12 for my first elk hunt. And it was one of those wild ones where, you know, they were just right outside where we were, had parked the truck. And it was a crazy madhouse. And it was right off of um, a family friend's ranch. So once we got him down, he got the forklifts and we were forklifting cows into the truck. And I <laughs> never have those again. But, <laughs> um, and since then, I've just been very active in it. Um, taught my sister and my mom how to fly fish after my husband taught me how to fly fish. Um, we take our girls hiking and camping and they love watching for wildlife and so we just we just kind of live it and my husband does a taxidermy business on the side I can't escape <laughs> Not <the good> one. <laughs> right <laughs> excellent um so I would love to hear I have a bunch of questions for you as, as you probably anticipated coming into today uh but okay. one of them is uh what drives your interest in advocating um as actively as you have been for our lands, waters, and wildlife? Uh, my kids. Um, I want them to have the same, well, I want them to have better opportunities than I have and have had growing up. Um, also, I'm, my students, like, they're kind of my kids at a certain point, you know, you yeah. end up having them all year and you see them every day and they come into your classroom with all their little, you know, all their little dramas. Um, so I end up being like a school mom. So my students, I want them to have good future outdoors. Um, I want my kids to have a good future outdoors. And then this legislative session has just been one thing after the other as far as outdoors um, are concerned. And I started really easy and just, you know, throwing in the, the preformed emails um, that some organizations put out. Um, and then, I'm, you know, I started taking the advocacy class and well, it does make more sense to put something personal in there. So then I'd modify it a little bit. And pretty soon I was arguing with senators. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard that story. We'll, we'll <laughs> dig into that in a little bit. Nice. Um, yeah. Okay. So you have stepped up your game recently. Let's see. I actually want to, I want to ask this question first. So oh. in the, in the Go Confident series. Um, and in the first session, we talked a lot about sort of the images and ideals and expectations that people have about what it means to be an advocate and how sometimes that can act as a constraint to having people take that first step. Uh, and so I'm curious um, if you can speak about that for you personally, what constraints did you need to move past in order to become more engaged as you have? time is my biggest constraint um you know being a teacher we do a lot of work at the school and we do a lot of work for school at home um so i've 
concentrated really hard this year on making sure that I can get what I need to done at school. So I'm not bringing that home as much. Um, and also, I mean, that affects my family too. So, um, and then the girls, obviously, you know, they take a lot of time, (laughs) (laughs) um, and rightfully so, um, they, uh, but they've been really good too. They are very interested every time we have an Artemis ambassador meeting that can they see me? Can I say hi? Um, and the answer is always yes. Right. <laughs> oh, yes. you guys helped me put them to bed on our last, one of our last meetings. So, <laughs> Excellent. um, so I, yeah, time, time has been the biggest constraint. Um, but they're, once the girls are in bed and once, you know, my husband's out in the shop working on his stuff, I just sit down and I kind of go through emails and check all the conservation, um, websites that I've been following and, see what I can do, write a couple emails, maybe just copy and paste for a couple of them, changing a few things. Um, yeah. So just finding that time has been a little bit difficult, but mm-hmm. it doesn't take cool. much time once you get started on it. Can you talk to us a little bit about what this year has looked like and what you've done recently? <laughs> well, um, <laughs> so when did we start the advocacy? Was it, was it um, February was the first February. session. Okay. Yeah. Um, so really fast and furious since February, really, really, um, <laughs> Sonia, um, had called me and she was like, Hey, so you want to do this speaking engagement? And I'm like, wait, what? Um, and so I had a couple of weeks to prepare for that. And I spoke up at the Capitol on the steps, um, which was terrifying. And then once it was done, it was probably one of the biggest adrenaline rushes I've had in a while. It was pretty cool. Um, and my dad actually had to speak at the Capitol for something totally different, but he ended up being there and watching also. So that was kind of cool. It was just coincidental, but, um, gosh. Okay. So speaking at the Capitol and then along with that, she had me do a radio interview, um, and a, a newspaper statement. Um, oh, before that you had me write the letter to the editor. I completely forgot that for Deb Hayland, um, which I, I sent it in once and then I waited and watched the Helena IR and it didn't show up. And then I was like, I'm going to send it again. So I think I sent it three times before yes. I ended up in there. Um, they must've gotten annoyed, but that's okay. <laughs> um, and then, oh my gosh, let's see. So letter to the editor, speaking at the Capitol, um, just writing letters, um, emails and letters, um, yeah, got in an argument with Steve Dean at one point. <laughs> yeah, do you wanna do you wanna go into that? <laughs> um, it was over Deb Hayland, and he had uh, quoted some of the things she said, and I emailed back, and I was just like, "Well, I'm just curious where she said that because I hadn't seen it, hadn't heard it." And once you asked me to write the letter to the editor, I was paying pretty close attention. Um, and then he wrote back, and it was um, pulled the. Well, as a fifth generation Montana outdoorsman, da 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 da, and I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm also at least a fifth generation. I don't even know. Like my grandparents, my grandpa's parents, I'm pretty sure, homesteaded. If it wasn't their parents that homesteaded in eastern Montana, I'm like, I, you know, I, I can pull that card too. Um, and I've been an outdoors person since I was at least six. So, um. So I just, it was just a little back and forth and he actually never emailed me back, but I I was getting pretty fired up (laughs) about it. Um, 
and then I, I teach an outdoors literacy class and there's only five kids because it's really small. Um, it's just an elective. They don't get like English credit for it. Um, but they actually have been really involved in this too. They've been writing to their to our legislators on all of these things. They've been very interested. Um, every time they'd write, they're like, have we heard anything back? Have you heard anything back? And then they'd read the emails and it's all the form emails back from, from everybody. But they're like, well, this person didn't email me back. Why did this email come back as not deliverable? And, uh, you know, and they were getting really fired up too. So that was fun to see. That's cool. Um, and then, and then this, I think was the next thing. Oh no testify at a hearing yes yes did that too which was a little more nerve-wracking because before I even you know got to talk the legislators all had their turn of course um and it was well what you're gonna hear from all these speakers is this and and I was like yeah that's uh, that's exactly what I'm gonna say so <laughs> um so that was a little nerve-wracking I'm not a very confrontational person so this has kind of brought some a little different side out. It's been mm-hmm. um, and then I'm going to help with the um, the hunter course. I've given a video presentation on um, butchering and field caping for taxidermy and euros on how to do a European mount. Oh, cool. And gonna, yeah. And then I'm going to help with the camping trip on that out at um, Canyon Ferry. So nice. It's, a lot, but yeah, yeah. Um, and and for uh, for our listeners, the the course that Anne's talking about is a Go Confident in the Wild course, which is our companion course to Go Confident as an Advocate. Um, that again, this year is mostly virtual, but it uh, takes participants through um, a bunch of of uh, courses and and video recordings of um, necessary information to get started for their first year in the field as a hunter. Um, and it will culminate as a camp um, this fall. And it's being led by the wonderful Sonia Smith from the Montana Wildlife Federation. Um, so how has your understanding of what it means to advocate for convert- conservation changed in the last few months? Or has it changed? Um, I mean, it's less scary than I thought it was going to be. As a teacher, I have lots of staff meetings and I don't even like speaking up in those. (laughs) Um, And those are people who know me really well. Maybe that's why I got more comfortable with advocacy because they don't know who I am. So it doesn't really matter. I have nothing to prove. Um, Also, my job's not dependent on it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's less scary. Um, it does take less time than I had anticipated. Um, and I got to say that's because the conservation organizations do such a good job paying attention and, and getting that information out there quickly, um, so that people have time to advocate well enough to make a difference. Um, and apparently we kind of did on I-190. So that was really exciting. I remember in my own uh, journey to becoming a more engaged advocate. It was like, um, there was a quote that I heard on, on another podcast that I really appreciated because it was this woman who was about to go on stage to give a presentation for work. So this wasn't specifically about conservation advocacy, but she was going to speak um, publicly, uh, which is, I mean, I'm pretty sure there's a, 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 a like a textbook phobia <laughs> about that. I just don't know the name of it right now. Um, 
but she, her boss was asking her um, how she was feeling. And she said, it's, I'm okay. I'm just going to go out there and do my best. And his response is, uh, just go out there and show up. And I think I, I really appreciated that sort of lowering of expectations, right? Just, I mean, go out there and do your worst, but you at least, you still, you still showed up. And so when I testified at my first hearing, that was important. Uh, that was an important goal for me to set for myself. Like, I'm not, I'm not here to like be the magic bullet that changes everybody's mind and pivots this whole discussion as much as I would like it to. Right. Um, and I'm not even going to go out there and do my best. I'm probably going to go out there, stare at my paper and read in a very shaky voice, but I'm going to show up. Um, and that ultimately is the, is the most important thing. Um, yeah. And then secondly, uh, I think it's so easy to get overwhelmed by the amount of information that's out there and the amount of issues there are that uh, we want to dedicate our time and our voice to and, and sorting through it all, especially um, when it isn't something you do for a living. Like, you know, this is my day job now. And so I'm neck deep in it 24 um, seven. Uh, and so it's a little bit easier to, to wade through the complexities. But before when I wasn't, um, it, it, it seemed overwhelming. And there was that notion of, I don't know enough about the issue to speak um, knowledgeably or effectively on it. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk about that? Ha have you felt similarly or, or was that something? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You're nodding. So. <laughs> yes. Um, and that funny enough, uh, my students really like pushed me because I, you know, I talked to them and I'm like, this is what I'm doing because it's public speaking and I'm an English teacher and that's, part of English. Um, I was like, see guys, you just never know when you're going to have to speak in public. Just be ready. Here we go. I'm going to give you practice. Um, but they, I, you know, I often feel like I don't know enough to do a lot of things. Um, I mean, it, there's no way everybody in the world knows everything about whatever it is they're supposed to know about. Um, you know, I could teach the same thing for my whole teaching career. And by the end of it, I'm sure there will still be something that I'm learning. Um, and so maybe as a teacher, that's helpful, um, because you just, you have to learn all the time. Um, but they were really pushing and they're like, of course, you know, everything you're supposed to for this. Like, you got this. It's okay. So they were my little confidence boosters. It was really nice. Cute. Uh, they all want to push me into a political career now, which is terrifying, but, um, <laughs> um yeah, so just, um, yeah, you're not going to know everything. And I guess in our, our little Artemis ambassador meeting the other night, um, I think, was it Cody that said, I want to banish the, I'm not the expert in this feeling that a lot of women have. Um, and that I was like, I, yeah, like I, there's no way you're going to be an expert in anything. You can be considered an expert in your field and you're still going to go learn things. Um, so mm -hmm. Just remembering that everybody is still learning. Um, there's always more to learn out there. And, you know, maybe you might know something that other people don't and you get that opportunity to share that. Yeah. I do think, yeah, that's something that I've encountered quite a bit in my role with Artemis is anytime, not anytime, a lot of times when I ask uh, women to either join me on the podcast or join me um, as a speaker in one of our um, learning sessions, it's always, well, 
I, I'm, I'm not an expert. I don't know if I have that much I can share. And I mean, this is oftentimes coming from women who've been hunting and fishing and advocating for decades, right? Like, <laughs> and even if you haven't, even if you've only been doing it for two years, you have your story to share and, and your experience in the field. Um, and I think you're right. I think we all assume that we need a PhD in something in order to be able to speak about it effectively. And um, I, it's it's become a personal mission of mine to, to work past that um, and work past the idea that you have to know everything in order to contribute anything um and and again in, in one of our early sessions for the go confident as an advocate we talked about the importance of personal story and i think that was one thing so when i first started with artemis um alexis bonagowski who's uh, an incredible conservationist and advocate um in billings montana she's also a photographer and a writer and she put together the first artemis advocate course uh and in the session that i did with her she talked about uh, when is the last time you changed your mind? And she just posed that question to the group um, and then really digging into that. So I'm curious, when's, when's the last time you changed your mind, Anne? Ooh. Oh, boy. I don't even know. Right? Because I was yeah. I was asking myself that question before this podcast, too. And I think part of it is that mm. Oftentimes when I come to think of a issue differently, I don't necessarily view it as changing my mind, which I thought was interesting. Sometimes I view it as I just learned new information yeah. and that new information um, contributed to the way I am thinking about it, not changed the way I'm thinking about it, but maybe moved me along. So I thought that that was an interesting, I don't know that it's always, for me, it's new information and whether that new information is data that I wasn't aware of or hadn't considered before, but more often than not, it's a perspective that I wasn't aware of and hadn't considered before that changes the way I'm thinking about an issue. Hmm. The other thing I've been thinking a lot about lately too, is that never happens on a, uh, on a dime, right? No. Maybe that's why it's so hard to pinpoint. Yeah. Yeah. It's a process. It is. Um, in thinking about your own story, Pat, yeah, how's that gone? Because we do ask a question: What's the um, what's 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 your story? How can you complexify um, their understanding of who you are to and add your personal story to this conservation issue to make it a a poignant conversation? I think, and I hate to keep going back to it, but I think it really does center around my girls. Like just being a mom um, and wanting them to have the same experience, the, the number of times that we, my husband and I have heard, oh, well, you know, you're going to have your hands full with boys and dresses and da, 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 da. And I'm like, really? That's, that's what you're coming away with? Like these girls play in the dirt. They come home every day from school with dirt in their hair. Like I'm not, and you know what? And they do wear fancy dresses while they're playing dresses. <laughs> um, so I just, the notion that my girls aren't rough and tumble enough for, you know, more than dresses and boys, that irritates me to no end. Um, and so I think really working toward their future and their choices and their opportunities whether that be outdoors, whether that be, you know, careers, whether that be 
anything, you know. Um, I have one who wants to be a mermaid and one who wants to be a cowboy. And I'm like, I'll do, okay, whatever. Um, so I think that really is where my story is focused at this point in my life, at least. Um, before it was probably adventure with my husband. That's um, probably where I would have centered it. Um, and before that, it would have been family because that was that was how my dad and I really bonded was going outside and hunting and fishing and camping. And, yeah. Um, family bonds, I guess. <laughs> Uh, I want to remind people who are listening right now that if you have a question, um, either for, for me or for Anne, um, please don't hesitate to drop it in the chat. Um, Anne, what's next for you as an advocate? Do you have any <laughs> thoughts about where you, what, what you want to tackle? So you've done, you've written a letter to the editor. Um, I mean, I feel like you went from zero to 60 because you went from writing a letter to the editor to speaking publicly on the steps of the Capitol um, to testifying at a hearing. Um, what's next? isn't is there anything that's next are you just keeping up with with the road that you're on which is awesome too yeah just building um my presence i guess in in the conservation advocacy role um i'm always impressed um watching the leaders of the organizations that i follow i'm like oh my gosh that is so cool like, like i wish i could do that but also um, I don't think I could step away from, from teaching. That's just like, yeah. it's a, and you know, you are I do. Yep. education. Um, and, and it's then, actually, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, you know, we had an interesting question, uh, conversation at a previous podcast. I think it was a one or two podcasts ago with Phoebe Stoner, mm -hmm. uh, who, um, used to work directly in in conservation and was a super engaged advocate on the side as a board member of a impactful organization and um, just using her own voice on various issues. And she talked about how, like she eventually recently left working in conservation um, as a job to do something else so she could focus more of her energy, more of her personal time and personal energy on advocating for conservation. But that, but doing that so deeply, both professionally and personally, um, she struggled with a lot of burnout and had to recenter herself in order to, to stay engaged and as passionate as she had been. So, um, I think, I think, and I know I thought this way too, again, when I transitioned from being a teacher to working in conservation, it's like, well, this way I'll be able to dedicate a lot of time to it. And I have been, and it's been wonderful, but there, you know, it can become all consuming because it is such uh, an important part of my life and my focus and, and my energy um, that I need to be very intentional about doing other things <laughs> once the clock stops um, and, and committing myself to other interests. So I think, I think there are good things about uh, doing something else in your day job and then using your personal passion um, as an advocate uh, in, I won't say free time, um, <laughs> I will find a different word for that. Um, in your, in your little spaces that, yes. you know, aren't filled that I can't relax in. Right. <laughs> Terrible at relaxing. I'm the word. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, just, just building on, on that and, um, making myself annoying enough to the people at the Capitol that they maybe start recognizing me and going, oh. Here she comes again. Yeah, I, I would like that. Be, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Sure. I do remember um, 
uh, a couple years ago when we were working on the land and water conservation fund and getting that passed um, permanently and fully funded, one of my coworkers who is in charge of the social media for the public lands team um, and was just, uh, you know, doing a ton of communication, especially via Twitter, um, there was, it was, it was quoted in a paper, um, I just wanted the damn tweets to stop. (laughs) As from a legislator um, about yes. their vote on the land and water conservation fund. So we cut yeah. that out and framed it for her. Yeah, like, awesome. Oh my gosh. Yeah, being annoying can be effective. Politely annoying. Politely. Being politely annoying can be yep. effective. We use our manners. Yep. <laughs> nice. Oh my gosh. Um, do you have any uh, pieces of advice uh, for people who are either hesitating to write that up ed or testify at that hearing um, or who are just starting to think about getting into it um i mean just rip the band-aid off but (laughs) um find templates um you know just go read a couple letter to the editors um watch just a few of the testify um testifying hearings you don't have to watch the whole thing like it gets tedious um but go watch a couple um, listen to a couple, read the letters. I Google was my best friend through all of this. I'm like, how do I fill in the blank? Um, mm-hmm. And then have somebody look it over. Practice if you're um, testifying. Just you know, give your speech. I think every single one of my classes heard it because I was like, help me, guys. I help you. It's your turn. Nice. Um, which is yeah, for high school students, I think that's some good practical application too. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just, just jump in, follow the yeah. conservation organizations that you feel fit, um, what you feel about the outdoors, um, reach out to them. I mean, like, oh my gosh, everybody has somebody in, you know, communications at the very least who it's their job to email back. So, um, but there's always somebody willing to reach out and help, mm-hmm. um, because that's, it's important, you know, that's their job and they believe in it and they're going to help you so that you help further the cause. Like that's, you know, that's what we're working for. Um, yeah. So don't be scared to reach out, ask for help, do your research. Um, yeah, no, I think I, I want to draw attention to two awesome points you made there to, to just emphasize them. One is, um, yeah, reach out to people. Um, I think it's so easy to get lost in all the material there's available to read online. And sometimes the questions that we have are more specific and the conversations we want to have are more nuanced. And if you do reach out to an organization um, and ask uh, those questions to an actual person that, I mean, you can learn. I've, I've found that I can learn more in, in a 10 minute conversation than I can learn two hours reading online um, and get more pointed um, and specific information to the questions that I have. So, yeah. And, and you're right. You know, I meet people who work for these organizations and, um, and I think that's true for all conservation organizations. We love to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and then the other point is, uh, and I know I struggle with this too, with it, with an all or nothing mindset, either I'm not going to testify at a hearing or I'm going to testify live and in person. Yes. And, and there's a lot of middle ground there. Um, and I think the idea of just going on and 
you know, yeah, read the letters to the editors and the op-eds um, so you understand kind of how they how they work and what's effective for you personally. And then that can translate into what you're putting out there in an effort to be effective as well. And, and yeah, watch a couple hearings because they are very formal and that can be yeah. intimidating. Yeah. Um, but if you, if you just show up as a observer, it takes away a little bit of the strangeness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Any last, go ahead. Were you going to say something else? No, um, I had a thought and then I lost it. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag Friday. Yes. <laughs> oh, I got it. Don't be afraid to fail. Like, and don't feel like you failed either. Um, Like I said, I think I emailed my letter to the editor three times before it showed up, you know, Um, and it's, it can be really discouraging and there's that, but no, like you did something. Good job. (laughs) I once gave uh, an interview on NEPA that was abysmal. (laughs) It was it was awful. And, um, yeah, in, in, I know that I will never set myself up for the same mistakes again. So even though that interview was awful, um, I learned a lot and, and right. There is no failure. I think, um, yeah, Nick wrote it in the comments here. Uh, what's the point of experience if you don't learn from it? Um, and so I didn't fail. I learned a valuable lesson. <laughs> there you go. Yes. That's what we tell our students all the time too, right? Right. And, uh, and I have to say, um, so I learned to hunt as an adult. I've only been hunting for about six years now. Mm -hmm. And that is something that hunting and fishing both taught me about learning as an adult, um, is that it, 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 it does mean failure. My whole experience as an angler became much more peaceful and much more um, effective when I realized that I was going to be spending 90% of my time tying and untying knots. Like, <laughs> once you accept that, everything becomes, it's, it becomes more about the journey. Um, yeah. And the lessons that that has taught me in the field uh, and on the water is really translatable to other things. And that's been kind of cool. Yeah. That's very good for my failure. <laughs> and frustration. Oof. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and finding success in the small things. Yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, I also think one of the things that I've found that's coming up uh, again and again in our conversations during that Go Confident as an Advocate series is how to have conversations with people to... Uh, I don't, I am not, I'm not quite sure I'm going to phrase this right to um, change their mind, to be persuasive, mm-hmm. to um, effectively communicate uh, why you feel the way you do. Um, I feel like that's coming up again and again. And I think that is like the core question of humanity, <laughs> much less conservation yeah. advocacy. Uh, but uh, I'm curious what your thoughts are on, on, on that, on communicating effectively on conservation issues across differences. I think doing your research is super important. Um, every time a bill popped up that I was going to post about, I made sure that I went and if the conservation organizations hadn't posted like a, a brief synopsis or explanation about it, I went and I found that bill and I read it as well as I could because I'm not a legalese. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
read it as well as I could. Um, that class that I teach actually came in really handy because my students and I would dissect things and go through things. Um, we would have discussions about, well, what parts of this are beneficial and what parts of this do we not agree with? Like, um, so formatting things in a way where you are giving facts um, and you are showing that you've done your research um, is really helpful, I would say. Um, so when you're writing a speech or an argument, you have three parts. You have ethos, pathos, and logos. Here comes my teacher. Speech. Do it. I'm excited for this. <laughs> ethos is your like ethics, your background information, your morals. Um, logos is logic. Um, and then, pathos. oh, pathos. Wait. Oh, no. See? There we go. Uh, logos is like your statistics. Pathos is, maybe that one's your logic. I think that was your logic. So if you have all three parts of that, your argument is very well-founded um, and more likely to cause other people to think. Um, I tell everybody we're not going to change minds. Um, but as you pointed out, sometimes it can change perspectives over time. Mm -hmm. um, so if you have those parts in your speech, you've done your research, you connect to it personally, um, and then you kind of tie those together with logic, it's pretty hard to argue with with whatever you are arguing. So yeah, well, I like that. I'm going to I'm going to incorporate that. Um, Probably I know what those are, but <laughs> um, I when I uh, so, yeah, when I was a teacher, I think one of the biggest things that I took away from um, my mentor was the idea that um, you can't teach anybody anything, you can only create opportunities for learning. And sometimes the most important job is to make people's thoughts bump into each other. And I really like that idea, right? Like we all have the um, world, our realities are, are constructed and, and we think and believe the things that we do for reasons. And if you can make those reasons bump into each other so they don't um, fit or make sense anymore, then we have to uh, chew on them to realign them. Um, so, so things are back in sync. And I think if you can make people's thoughts bump into each other, that's the seed that's planted that, that helps them continue to think about it, um, after the conversation. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, all right. I'm going to switch back, um, and ask you, uh, some more, um, hunting and fishing related questions. Okay. One is, uh, can you tell us a story of one of your favorite memories in the field or on the water? Wow. I feel like every memory is a pretty good one. Um, even when you fail, you know. Um, gosh. Let's see. Okay, so I've told my little trout fishing story. So that's one of them. Um, the crazy elk hunt my first year is probably another one. Um, that got crazy. Like I was standing up against a tree and had cow elk running around me. It was. That's amazing. As a little 12 year old girl who, you know, <sighs> first hunt. I can just like, like, I just want everybody to stop and put themselves in that moment. Like sensorily right like the sound the smell yeah. the the yeah. dust the 
That's the, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. And we'll probably never have an experience like that again, which is probably okay. It was, <laughs> it was pretty crazy. Uh, let's see. Um, gosh, maybe last year, it was my first year that my husband and I really went bear hunting. Um, and we didn't come out with a bear because everyone we saw had cubs. Um, but we, I had spotted this, um, this bear and she's just this gorgeous cinnamon color. Um, and so the next day, cause we spotted her at like dusk, um, her, cause we found cubs later. Um, we went up to where we had seen her and we were just cresting this hill. All of a sudden my husband goes, it's right there. And I go, Oh, expletive. Uh, it, <laughs> like dropped to the ground. Cause I'm like, what? And all this, like, I can just see like fuzzy little head coming over the, the other side of the hill, like around. Um, and then she caught our wind and, and ran. Um, so we didn't have an opportunity for a shot, which was good because the next time we saw her, she had cubs. Um, and so I was really glad that we didn't take that opportunity. Um, but the thinking about it later, it's another one of those things where in the moment, it's just we're hunting and this is what we're doing and getting the gun ready. But then the wind shifted, of course, because that's what it does. Um, but later I was telling my mom the story and she goes, I don't think I could, I don't think I could do that. And I was like, what do you mean? You know, you know, we're just doing it. And she's like, there was a bear right around the hill from you. And I was like, there was, there was a bear right around the hill from me. So yeah, the, the hindsight sometimes is a little crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably my most recent favorite story. That's beautiful. Are you going out again this year, bear hunting? Yeah, we've we've gone out the last couple weekends. Um, thankfully, we have both sets of grandparents in Helena, so they take turns with the girls. It's been really helpful. Nice. Um, we actually just spotted one last night um, off of our front porch. <laughs> so in Montana City, like we're literally like there's mountains. Like looking out my window, and there's just mountains. Um, so my husband found one last night and we watched it for a little while and he's been playing on, on the, on X3D on the computer to see if he can figure out where it was. And then we'd go back to our phones and look out the window and looks like it's probably on private, but general area, there's probably another one. So, um, yeah, so maybe we'll come back with a bear this weekend. Hopefully <laughs> at least. We've Excellent. Seen now. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, all right. Uh, hits and misses, our weekly closer. Yeah. What have you been aiming for and how did it go? Well, I mean, I've been thinking a lot about this podcast and it's gone well. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, I appreciate that. You're the first yeah. guest who's ever said that. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like a, I, I panic about stuff and I worry about stuff a lot. So, um, yeah, so I would say this has been a definite hit. This is really exciting. Excellent. Um, and then let's see, misses. Ah, I don't know. Just finding time to do all the things that I should be doing. Right. <laughs> Probably practice my bow. You know, like we're getting in on that season, but um, right now it's bear hunting season. So <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. Back to the time thing. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's a uh, yeah. That was another thing that I always appreciated. Um, 
in the advocacy trainings that Artemis put together at first, like they started off with like the most valuable thing anybody can give you is their time. Uh, and that's so true. Absolutely. Very cool. Thank you for giving me your time. Appreciate yeah. that for sure. This is awesome to do this. This is fun. Yeah. Excellent. Um, well, my big hit, uh, I have two hits. One is I got my second COVID vaccine yesterday. Um, and yeah. I'm here and awake and happy today. So I feel good that it didn't, it didn't hit me as hard as it's yeah. hit some people, um, with the second shot, got a little achy, but, uh, but by and large doing just fine. And then I'm headed off on Sunday for a bear hunt. Yeah. Um, and so I'm going to be off the grid for a whole week. Um, and I'm very excited for that. So yes, maybe when I come back, we can swap bear stories. I hope so. I hope so. Excellent. Cool. <laughs> Um, all right. Uh, thanks, everybody. I'm going to pause one more uh, time and see if you have any questions. Um, I appreciated you all being here. Um, I uh, hope you had some good takeaways. And at the very least, I hope you were entertained. Um, until uh, I'm going to end our podcast uh, the way that we usually do, which is to say, until next time, be bold, stay curious, and get outside. Uh, I'm very grateful for everybody's time. Thank mm -hmm. you.